My name is Abby and I'm the voice behind the Evolving Love Project. In this podcast, my husband and I deep dive into the topics of non-monogamy and polyamory, drawing from our experiences of being consensually non-monogamous for almost a decade. My name is Liam. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, curious or anything in between, we invite you to join us for this conversation. Let's begin. In today's episode, we talk with Megan from the popular Amory podcast. Megan is a self-love and relationship coach living in Costa Rica. She's polyamorous, a mother, and has been with her husband for over 20 years. In this episode, Megan shares her story of being featured in American Vogue, polyamorous living arrangements, learning how to date again after monogamy, and metamore relationships. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. We're so excited to speak with you. I feel like we've been in touch for quite a while now, maybe over a year, and it's wonderful to finally have you on the podcast. I am so excited to be here. Thank you two so much. I'm I'm sure this is going to be delightful and more. <laughs> I came across you, Megan, because there was an amazing Vogue article that came out last year. And the name of the article was, Is Monogamy Over? Inside Love's Sharing Economy. This article hit me so deeply because in all of the stories that I've read about polyamory and non-monogamy, I connected with your story so personally. It was the most in alignment you know, journey of somebody that I felt, I felt so connected to. I saw my own story in you. So I had to reach out to you straight away, um, which I did. And we, we made contact, but it was just such a beautiful article. Yeah, we really uh, connected with it so deeply, uh, particularly also because of you talking about the fact that you were a mother, the fact you're opening up story, and we found a lot of similarities uh, in that. But we'd love to know a little bit about uh, how the Vogue article came to be. Uh, just like everything else in this journey, it all kind of feels like on accident, but with happy opportunities where I took action. <laughs> so um, someone that follows Emory Podcast saw that they were someone had put out a message saying they're looking for people to be interviewed for an article. And I, I was like, Oh, sweet. Cool. Thank you for sending it to me. I will reach back out. And it was months later, actually, when I received that information, I was hosting a retreat in California and I don't usually stop what I'm doing. I mean, I hosting a retreat, you're like pretty focused, but I remember getting this gut hit, like Megan, do this now, just respond now. And so I responded, it took maybe five or 10 minutes. And then I went back to the retreat and honestly, I forgot about it. And three or four months later, she reached back out and and she was like, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so from Vogue. Uh, are you still interested in being interviewed? I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll talk to you. And I mean, I, I had no idea that they were going to like feature our story so prominently. I just thought I was one of maybe a dozen people that they talked to and that they were going to find some patterns and take some quotes and... And that was it. So, I mean, I really didn't know the extent of the article until it was released, <laughs> which was, I mean, it was a fun experience. It was very like shocking. I don't know if it's the right, right word. I knew that I wanted to share the story, but then to finally read it in an article was like, oh my God, what did I just do? Totally put this out there for, I don't know how many people to read. Okay. It's there. Well, I mean, the lead up to, to sharing so publicly, it must have been a real, obviously a conversation that you'd had with your partner, with Marty, like, what was the what was some of the conversations leading up to that like? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think Kyle and Marty at that point were so open because we had already shared a lot of our journey on Emory podcast. So it didn't really feel, in all honesty, it felt like another conversation that we were having. It wasn't, it, it you know, the magnitude of it didn't really hit when they were fact checking though. So the fact check checker called us back and was like going through. So Marty had to personally fact check the stuff that, um, that was, he was referenced to and Kyle had to fact check things and I had to fact check. And when they started asking, when they started asking us those fact checking questions without releasing the full article, because again, we hadn't, we hadn't read it. I didn't get access to it until everybody else did. Um, and then I realized I was almost like, I had a full reflection of myself, like, wow, Megan, you just share everything, don't you? <laughs> and for better or worse, I mean, I think that's just me. I think I'd rather be someone that shares openly. Um, I think we've all, though, gone through little little peaks and valleys of it. When it was released, we were really excited kind of about it. And I don't know. Now, if somebody called to interview me, I, I would actually say no. I think I've been approached again. 
And I think it's just not where my partners and I are right now. You know, all of us were recording Emery then. We were all like very much into it. And now Emery has kind of become a little bit more of my journey or like self-love. And Marty's doing his thing and I love what he's up to. And Kyle's doing his thing and I love what he's up to. But we don't have that like together energy um, around it as we did when that, when we first recorded or when we first were interviewed for the article. So, I mean, just like every journey, there's the ups and downs and in between. So I definitely don't regret it because, um, Abby getting messages like yours. I remember the day that I got your, um, message and I was like, Oh my gosh, this woman in Australia, it like, she read the Vogue article and it resonated with her. I'm like, this is why, this is why I share. And I remember you told me then that you were thinking about doing a podcast and I was like, yes, yes, do it. Like, what do you need? I'll support you. <laughs> oh my gosh, you were so generous. I couldn't believe that you got back to me straight away because I remember I just read the article and then I messaged you and it was like 10 minutes later you wrote back to me and I was just like this is this is amazing. When you get feedback like that, you're just like, yes, this is why I want more and more people to step into their truth. So it was like you, I mean it was maybe a surprise on your end, but for me, it's it's fuel. When people reach out and say, wow, I was really impacted by what you share. I'm sure you guys receive that now too. When you share an episode and people reach out and say, wow, I really learned something from that. It's it, You're like fueled by it. Mm, keeps you wanting to share more and put out more and connect with more people because you, know, you never know who's at the other end. You never know who's reading the article, listening to the podcast, reading the post you know, how it's affecting them. And when you hear that, it just means so much. So yeah, I, no, I totally understand that. Uh, so when you're talking about, you know, Amory and everything that you've got happening now, but your journey, would you mind for our listeners, Megan, who are new to you and new to what you're doing, would you mind sharing a little bit about your opening up journey with you and Marty and your relationship and sort of, you know, I know this is just one podcast episode and it's been so many chapters and experiences, I'm sure to get, you know, where you are now, but would you mind just opening up and sharing a little bit about your journey to, to how you are where you are today. Sure. I, I mean, it's really hard to summarize because it's been five years. So I would call the new, like the first chapter when we were first opening up, that was like the paradigm shifting moment. It really went from, I didn't even know the word polyamory and I had only heard about swinging um, to you know, fast forward to me walking into Kyle's apartment and I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is totally consensual. My world is breaking. <laughs> what is mm. happening? Who am I? Mm. What is this world? And then to fall in love with Kyle and still be in love with my husband and to to love two people at the same time, it really was. It just broke me open entirely. Mm. And I would say that first paradigm shifting phase maybe lasted a year or two. And by then we were traveling around. We were um, a side story to opening up is that at the same time we were deciding to sell our home and to travel around the world with our three-year-old twins. So there was a lot happening in my life. We kind of decided our, our life as we knew it wasn't working well. Uh, like we had checked all the boxes, we did all the things and we're like, whose life is this? So there was the opening up of the relationship, deciding to sell the house. And then Kyle took the opportunity to meet up with us in different places around the world. So we met up in South America, we met up in Brazil and Chile, and then we met up in Europe and we met up in Australia. And then we all got locked down in New Zealand. Um, and so this is now two years into the open relationship. We already had Emory podcast about a year or so at that point. And Kyle decided to stay in New Zealand instead of going back to the US. So it meant that he was gonna be living with us for an unknown period of time during lockdown. So we did that for about six months. We've tested out all of the different li living situations that we can. Um, so Kyle lived with Marty and I and the kids for about six months. And that was a very different chapter. Um, Kyle and Marty were you know, close. There was like a lot of interaction with the family. Fast forward a little bit and Kyle decides to go back to the States. And so I stayed in New Zealand for about six months. And Marty at this point hadn't seen his partner for a year in person. And so parallel to my story with, with Kyle, Marty also fell in love with another woman. She's not featured in Emory. That, that was never part of the agreement. So we've kind of kept that relationship very much aside, um, but it was running parallel at the same time. So as I was falling in love with Kyle, um, Marty was falling in love with his partner. They're still together. Um, she lives down the street from us in Costa Rica, but I'm fast forwarding a little bit. 
we end up going from New Zealand and deciding that the only country that was open where we all could come from, uh, Marty's partner was coming from South America. Kyle was coming from the U.S. at that point, And um, Marty and I were coming from New Zealand and Costa Rica had its borders open. So we ended up in Costa Rica. And at that point, Marty's partner lived with us for three months. <laughs> so... Then we had the flip-flop, the role reversal, and I give her a lot of credit, I really do, to coming in and not having seen him for a year and living with us and how much that brings up. I mean, this whole, this, this whole path has brought up really incredible moments and very challenging moments. So uh, I wouldn't change it for the world and <laughs> for anyone stepping into this thinking like, it's all sunshine and rainbows. Like there are very challenging moments. And I know that uh, I appreciate seeing other people's challenges and seeing how you know Marty's partner worked through it. And we decided for living scenarios, it works best with Marty and I and the kids, and then Kyle and his place kind of close and Marty uh, Marty's partner has her own place. And that for all of us has been the best living scenario. Um, the most recent chapter now is that my partner, Kyle, has moved back to the States. So he's living in Oregon. We are going through another change of our relationship as I navigate. I don't know how it's so fresh. It's like hard to put in words. We are still together. We are, we still love each other. We are still planning on seeing each other quarterly ish. And at the same time, um, I, I'm making room emotionally for his new partner who he's going to be living with. So, um, and also I'm starting to spend more time with someone else that lives here in Costa Rica. Um, all of these pieces, I mean, I know it's a lot for a new listener to take in, but I guess the theme is that all of these are variables that change constantly based on our needs and based on our current life scenario. So the best part about polyamory is really being flexible with where are you, what's going on in your life, what is it that you need, what works, which country do you want to live in? I don't know. That's maybe our particular brand of polyamory. <laughs> um but yeah, that's uh, that's maybe us in a nutshell right now. What an incredible journey and that continues to evolve as well in this beautiful kind of organic way with everyone shifting across the globe and, and partners moving in and out and those connections still remaining so strong. I'd love to jump back uh, to the initial opening up uh, story with you, and, with you and Marty and those initial conversations that you had when you started to broach these ideas. And in the Vogue article, uh, you shared this great story about how you would go out together to, to restaurants and, and play this little role play where you would act like you didn't know each other. And I don't know whether that came directly because I know Esther Perel talks about that in her book uh, Mating in Captivity is one of the exercises that she gives to couples to reconnect and I was wondering you know what was that uh, those kind of initial playful uh, scenarios like that was so much fun I mean after kids and you guys might have gone through this I don't know but kids severely change your relationship I mean in the best way <laughs> in like the best way in the worst way and one of the things that Marty was really conscious of is he didn't want to lose that spice that we had so after having kids, um, he, and this is maybe right around the time that we were starting to explore the idea of an open relationship, um, or maybe right before he was like, I'm going to court you all over again. I'm just going mm -hmm. to take you out and we're going to pretend like we don't know each other. And he suggested that idea before, but that never really fit with me because I have a hard time not like just not being me. <laughs> So that didn't feel authentic. It's like, I don't want to be anyone else. Like I, I, I want to be me. And so we were ourselves, um, but pretending not to know each other. And that was really, really fun. Yeah. That made me think back to when uh, Liam and I, I think before we opened up or when we were in the early stages of opening up, we definitely had a time once when we pretended not to know each other and we went into a bar and we sat at different ends of the bar and I was uh, trying to flirt with the bartender in front of Liam so that Liam could watch me try and flirt with the bartender. But unfortunately the bartender was giving me nothing back and it was all a bit of a fail and we ended up leaving. <laughs> he, was he was incredibly <laughs> disinterested in it and it kind of also in a weird way triggered this kind of like why aren't you into my wife like like do we have to do we have to have words here like Liam what's was going offended. on <laughs> like come on she's beautiful why are you not totally digging her <laughs> and abby and watching abby try to flirt and in the end i just i think i just held up the white flag and thought i think i think this uh, little little game is over and, and we uh we called it yeah we scurried out of there oh with a story now with a story exactly always with a story 
Uh, so, Megan, with, uh, you know, polyamory and, you know, coming out to family and, and coming out to children and, you know, you are a polyamorous mother, would you be able to um, tell us about that journey and what it's been like sort of navigating that with children? It's so funny because so many people ask this and I'm sure you guys get this as well. Like, what about the kids? They're great. You know, they haven't known anything else since they were two. So yeah, they are, it's normal for them. It's everyday life. And we talk about, we don't necessarily use the word polyamorous. We say, mommy and daddy believe you can love more than one person at a time. And that like, that's just normal. So they're, they're twins. They're eight now. And it's possible that they're going to face more questions as they get older, but I don't, at this point, it's on, it's almost like a no, it's not even a topic of conversation. You know, everyone's Marty is with his other partner half the time. And so he's like, Hey, I'm going over to her house. And they're like, okay, see you later. We've gotten it used to just kind of a flow at this point that I don't think they question. And maybe as they get older, they might say like, Oh, Hey, we're noticing now that a lot of other people don't do that. Uh, but for us, it's really been about love. And we had a funny scenario where there was um, someone that was uh, my my daughter befriended a little girl and that little girl's parents were going through a divorce and so that girl was processing her dad's divorce she was with her dad at the time and she's like yeah you know my daddy if he wants to he's getting divorced so he can love other people and I had to clear up that with my kids to say actually marriage and love are two different things marriage is an agreement and it's kind of in the, it's law based and love is just love. So you can only marry one person at a time, but you can love more than one person at a time. So I think drawing that distinction from them for them is something that probably most kids don't, don't receive at all. <laughs> and they were like, okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah. What a beautiful thing to instill in your children, that sense of that curiosity and the creativity in relationships that, that can actually transpire that aren't confined by these traditional mononormative ideals of, of marriage and what relationships look like. Yeah. Even living scenarios. They've lived now, like I was telling you, all the different living scenarios that we've had. We've tested out all of those. And to, to them, it's just normal. Like, oh, yeah, we had Kyle live with us. We had, you know, Marty's partner live with us. And and even when people are gone. So right now, Kyle's in the States, but he'll come back and he'll visit. And there's never anyone out of our life like that. You know, there's no, there's no break. It's just like, oh, they're just not here right now. We've experienced that before. That person that, that mommy loves and that is a part of our life and that we love is just not here right now. They'll be back. Do you find it difficult kind of broaching that with the kids and kind of preparing them? Because of course, you have to prepare yourself for Carl moving away, of course. But then you also have to think about the kids and, you know, they, they would probably have a really close relationship with him and they might be thinking, oh, this is really difficult because I miss him as well. So you're not only managing your own relationship to the move, but also your kids. Yeah, and they do. And, and they've experienced it before. Uh, so it's not abnormal, you know, when he, he lived with us in New Zealand and then decided to go back to the States for six months. And so they've already kind of had these experiences. So again, we've maybe normalized it a little bit and then they know that they'll see, see him again. It's like, they're not worried. They don't have that. They don't have that worry when someone leaves, I guess that's a good way to describe it. Does it make sense where kids get afraid when people leave? Like, Oh, I'm not going to see you again. They just, it's like not there for them, at least as far as I know, they haven't vocalized it like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And they they have that real sense of security with you and Marty. You know, you and Marty are always the consistent in their life. Mm -hmm. And then other partners of yours are like beautiful gifts and connections while they're there. But then also they, you know, your children would understand that they're their own people too, and that they're on their own journey. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, so, and also with your children, you would be surrounded, I'm sure, you know, you're in a polyamorous, non-monogamous community. So you would be, I'm sure, around other people who are non-monogamous with children too. So you're sort of in environments where it's quite normalized. Maybe I'm just guessing or... I wish. <laughs> I wish. I mean, we're in Costa Rica and we know a couple other people that have open relationships. Um but it's not, it's not like a whole community by any means. And in fact, we don't necessarily even, yeah, I mean, I wish, I wish we had more people that could normalize this particular 
lifestyle, but no, we're definitely in the, the heteronormative, like everybody's married or actually most of their friends now, their parents are going through divorces. So mm. they're actually getting to see more of that and how their friends are processing. I mean, of their friends that go to the school, I want to say at least half, half of the kids' parents have recently gotten divorced within the last couple of years. So yeah. This is one of the greatest misconceptions around uh, kind of open relationships and polyamory and all these types of things is is that people are doing this to kind of fix issues within their own relationship. But it seems that you and, and your partner um, have this great sense of abundance within your love and it's actually really kind of enriching your relationship. Um, what's, what's the process been like in terms of the evolution? Because obviously communication seems to be like such an important thing for both of you. Is this something that you're constantly talking about? You're checking in with each other about new partners about different different ebbs and flows of your own relationship yeah definitely I mean we have to keep checking in <laughs> so yeah it's constantly changing I think we go through periods where like oh this is amazing you know everybody's flowing so well but it's just like everything else in life if you have low bandwidth if you're stressed out with other things then this relationship piece it can just feel hard so all of us, all of us have ebbed and flowed with that quite a bit. I mean, I would love to say that it's all fantastic, but I don't think any relationship is always at that really high peak of the wave. I think we've just, especially Marty and I have really gotten used to cycles of our relationship. We've been together 23 years. So I know his cycles, he knows mine, and I know our cycles together. And I think the biggest thing for us is just trusting. Like we trust each other to do the work. And sometimes it's not at the pace that we want you know, that we want to see our partners do the work. Like, Hey, sweetie, I love you. You got this thing. That's like right here. Uh, you're going to work on it. And it might be six months or a year, but I just trust, you know, Marty's held space for me as I've gone through challenges and I'm, I hold space for him. And I think that that level of trust, um, even before the opening our relationship, we, we had gone through a lot. So we just built this fantastic, knowing that we will be there, we will do the work, we will get through it. Um, and sometimes it's really hard, but that's just like any other relationship. I mean, that's like anything that you do is going to challenge you in ways that you feel equipped. And then sometimes where you don't feel equipped. And it's in those moments where I think we just keep stepping into that unknown space. Like, oh, here we go. This one feels really, really challenging. And I, I don't know what's going to be on the other side because Every time we, we level up and grow, it's like we go through an identity death and we have to let go of something, some way that we knew ourselves. And that can hurt, you know, it, it really does. And just making space for that growth, um, it's, it means a lot, I think, to both of us. And you're on this journey with these incredible men. I mean, Marty and Kyle seem absolutely incredible. We'd love to speak with them one day. And I have loved reading, you know, your posts with Marty and what he shared with his own relationship with Kyle and also at times where Kyle has looked to Marty as a mentor as well. I mean, what a unique, beautiful metamor friendship between two men. Would you be able to share a little bit about their connection and how they've navigated this space? Yeah, it, that one's really challenging too because it's not my story to tell. So I've I've started really stepping back from really making sure I'm just telling my truth and not telling their story. So I will be very clear on saying I'm speaking from my perspective um, on how I view their connection and their relationship. I think in times it has been super close and in other times they have challenged each other. We went through a whole period where they actually didn't talk to each other and and that was really challenging for me, but I respected both of them and their decisions to, to just kind of be in their own world. Um, and now they, they can communicate, they talk with each other. They're not as much in each other's lives as they were before, partially because Marty's here and Kyle's in Oregon right now. Um, and I, I, I guess I leave a lot of room for both of them to navigate their relationship as they see fit. I think in the beginning, they were both trying to please me in, in the way that they were relating, which I, I didn't necessarily ask for. Um, and it wasn't a bad thing. I think both of them have beautiful hearts and they both want to try. They both wanted to be there for me. They both wanted to have their relationship be close and friendly and, and connecting. But I, what I would change or what I would do differently is what I would recommend to anyone out there listening is 
to allow people as you go through this to have the connections that they have or don't have with other people in your lives, because there can be a layer of resent if they, if people are doing something for you, even if you're not asking them to do it, there can, there can be that layer that of resent that doesn't help necessarily. Like I was doing this for you. (laughs) Um, I guess I leave a lot of room for organic connections now. And I will say as a mirror for Marty and Kyle has been me with Marty's partner. And there have been times where we've been really communicative and really close. And then other times where we're just not interacting much and not that it was not that it's a bad thing. I think now we've, we've really reached a beautiful set point where we don't have this imposed, like we have to be best friends because that's what I started with. Like, Oh, kitchen table polyamory. We all have to get along and we should Mm. get along and hang out and do all these things things together. And it's just not the organic set point for that relationship. And I have a lot of respect for her. I have a lot of love for her. I love her with Marty. Like I love their connection. And, you know, she and I are like not best friends. You know, she does her thing. I do my thing. She comes over for dinner every once in a while and we'll do events together. Um, I think removing that layer of what we think should be has allowed us to actually be better with each other in the ways that we interact instead of like, oh, we should be best friends because Marty really wants us to spend time together and be best friends. You know, Mm. anybody puts that type of pressure on a relationship. It doesn't feel good. So I, again, I, I share this for people to say there are a lot of different ways to open a relationship, a lot of different ways to practice polyamory. And you can start out with an ideal like kitchen table polyamory. I love it. Like it would be great if everybody gets along and it's all, it's all friendly. Um, and that's fantastic because that does work sometimes. And just like everything else, leaving room for people to grow, for people to change, for the relationship to evolve, to take off the pressure of what you think should be allows for that actual organic set point of the relationship, which I think is the philosophy of polyamory anyway. You know, when you connect to people, it's like, where is your, where is the natural set point with how you connect? Do you connect just mentally? Do you connect physically too? Like, what are the ways that you connect? Um, all of it really has opened up my eyes to where I was forcing myself actually to have a certain type of relationship with someone that wasn't necessarily there organically, you know, with family, with friends, with other people. Uh, I think I'm a lot looser now and just allowing people to manage their own relationships and appreciate where they are and to notice where I have expectations that might be adding an extra burden into that relationship. Mm. Well, it takes such an amazing uh, sense of secure attachment to your own sense of self as well, which is so evident in the way that you're talking about being comfortable with your your partners having their own connections and not necessarily being directly involved. What is uh, I know you had uh, the wonderful Jessica Fern on your uh, podcast, which is an amazing interview, and I'd, I'd love to recommend people to check out that um, on your podcast. And she wrote the book Polysecure, which talks about attachment styles and the way that interact interacts with um, non-monogamous uh, life and, and the journey that we have on it. But what's your attachment style? Because it seems mm. that you're just so confident within <laughs> yourself and have this beautiful sense of self-love and self-worth. Oh, thank you, Liam. That's so beautiful. Um, it's good because that is the work that I'm very committed to doing in the world. So thank you. I didn't start out like this. Uh, by the way, I will be interviewing Jessica again in September, October about her new book. I'm so excited. I, I love talking with her. So I'm like geeking out. I get to talk to Jessica one more time. Uh, I would say a lot of it actually started shifting when I read her book, Polysecure. And I realized that I didn't have a secure relationship with myself. Here I was in a loving relationship with two men and I I couldn't say I loved myself that, I mean, I can't even tell you the aha moment that I had. That was maybe three years ago. And ever since then, I've really been working on this relationship with myself and as the primary, you know, I, I love Marty and Kyle and (laughs) I've made, I've kind of shifted and reoriented to say, okay, Megan, you with you, you were going to live with you your entire life. (laughs) Like, Let's work on this one. And I think the more I work on the relationship with myself, the more my relationships improve. I mean, drastically. So I would say my attachment style was very avoidant. 
And if I'm not careful, if I'm not really conscious, I will go avoidant. It is my number one, like, I'm going to (laughs) flee. Like, I feel triggered. I'm just going to run away. I have really trained the muscle to watch when I'm doing that. And in fact, I have self-love programs. um, And in those programs, I ask people to just watch their behavior. If you are trying to avoid something or trying to control something, the only reason you would have those two different behaviors generally is when you don't feel safe. Otherwise, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't be avoiding and you wouldn't be controlling. You would just be being with it. And, you know, all those moments where you feel secure go unnoticed because they're just moments. You're like, oh, whatever. I had a conversation with the barista or I did this with my kid or I had that conversation with my partner. All of those moments just flow. Um, And that's when you're secure because you don't need to avoid and you don't need to control. As soon as you flip into avoidance or control, that's when you know, oh, I'm not feeling safe. And this is my behavior I take when I'm not feeling safe. And so I just, I say, I watch the Megan machine. I just like watch myself and I laugh. I'm like, oh, I'm avoiding something or I'm totally trying to control something. Oh, I'm controlling my kids now. Why? Because I don't think their behavior is great. Why? Because I think of a bad parent that would make me not safe, like for being a bad parent, you know, it's all of these little moments. So yeah, I've been working on it and I kind of think Liam that it's going to be a work in progress my whole life, but I'm happy to talk with people on this, on, in this genre all day long. (laughs) And so, Megan, when you're connecting with people, you know, you've said you've got a new partner or someone that you're starting to spend a little bit more time with. Is it a prerequisite for you that they are also throwing themselves into this work? They're reading PolySecure, they're doing, you know, the different courses, doing all of this inner work. I feel like with where you're at, that would definitely be a prerequisite. Am I right? (laughs) Prerequisite. I don't know. I can, I can ask my new, my new friend. That's really funny. I'm going to tell him that, like, I think you should read all this. Um, Honestly, (laughs) I think it's way more organic than that. I think just me being who I am starts some conversations that then maybe Mm. peaks, peaks someone's interest. I mean, I think it's just me being me. Um, Mm. I would love to, I mean, for the people that, that want a deep dive, that's actually what I reserve my courses for because I know those people are opting in. Uh, and I'm, you guys, I'm like pretty inexperienced in dating. I really am. I opened Mm. up the relationship and got into a serious relationship with Kyle And that was pretty much it. And so I feel like a newbie. I'm like, I don't know how to date. I'm having to go through all of the stuff again. That's really what I'm going through right now. So no, am I requiring anybody else to read anything? I'm like, no shit, Megan, you're nervous because you're afraid of what might happen. Or like, I'm watching myself cracking up going like, holy shit, you thought you were way more secure than you were. Like, here you go. Here's a new situation. Deal with it. So I think it's really funny. I'm just sitting with all of my nerves of getting to know someone again and how much I open up and watching the places where I still feel insecure because there's always going to be places. So it's a whole nother adventure. It's just a whole nother adventure. Oh gosh, I really feel you with this because I feel like also as somebody who talks a lot about love and relationships and my own experiences and I have my own you know, thoughts and things that I share that sometimes people might think that I'm a bit of an expert on these things or they're like, oh, you must have it all figured out. You right? know what you're doing. You're an attachment expert. <laughs> all of this and I'm thinking oh my gosh you know I'm still I'm in it with everyone else I'm just vocalizing where I'm at but I'm still you know I don't have it all together and you know I'm going off to a date sometimes and I'm totally nervous you know (laughs) oh my god good I'm in good company then I so get that I don't know how to not get that you guys though because it's sharing things on Amory people have a certain relationship to it. Like, oh, because you're sharing it out loud, you must be the expert of it. And thank you for sharing that with me because I'm like, hey guys, not the expert in all of this. I'm curious (laughs) about it. I want to talk about it. It's really Mm -hmm. interesting to me, but holy cow, please. Like I am, I am not the expert. Like I'm living along with with all of you. So thank you for for letting me know. (laughs) I feel you. I'm I'm there with you. (laughs) 
thank you. <laughs> There's so much power in, in actually owning the fact that we're all just evolving. We're all kind of moving through life and doing the best we can. We're trying to learn. We're trying to adopt new strategies for coping. And in some ways, that sense of nerves, I, I, I know when I see Abby and she's getting ready for a date and she's getting really nervous and she's starting to question question everything going, oh, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I'm going, this is this is amazing. And I, I feel that sense when I'm going on a date. I went on a date recently and I, I just had so many butterflies in my stomach. And I was like, this is crazy that I'm in this a beautiful, committed relationship with a beautiful family who I love so much. But these opportunities for feeling these butterflies are still available to me. Right. Isn't that amazing? It's mm. that is the the growth edge, right? Like we don't have to give up that that newness and excitement. And we definitely don't have to throw away the things that make us so, feel so secure and so loved and so safe. Right. There's mm. value for both. And I, I mean, I so appreciate the safety that I have in my life to feel this loved, to feel this grounded so that I can step out and have those butterfly moments. Um, yeah, it's just, you think about it, not only in the terms of relating to new people, but also I mean, anything that you do in life, um, trying something new, it's the same, it's the same experience, right? It's the ability to step into something new. I just got my, um, Patty certification to scuba dive and it mm. felt like this, you know, it felt like polyamory in a sort of way, because I'm like, I don't have the identity of being a scuba diver. I don't know how to do that. Like I had to go through and learn and I freaked out at the bottom of the ocean. They're, they're basically saying, okay, take out your regulator. Like we practiced at the top. And I'm, I, I looked at him and I go, no, <laughs> just no. <laughs> and, and so he looks into my eyes. You can't talk underwater. Obviously we're like 40 feet underwater. And he grabs my hand and goes, look at me. And we just breathe together. And in that way, I, I thought about all the work that I've done up to this point around my emotional being to be able to calm myself down, to be able to get back into the present moment. And this is what I teach kids too, is like breathing techniques. And of course, here's me not using them, but within five breaths at the bottom of the ocean, I regained my composure and I was able to take out the regular regulator and do the thing and pass the test and but those moments seem so different. You know, one is learning how to scuba dive and one is practicing or having an open relationship, but there's some fundamental piece that is the same. And that is, that is dealing with our own nervous system. It is stepping into the unknown. It is shifting our identity to do things that we haven't done before. So to me, it's these patterns of life that I just, I love so much. So I know polyamory or open relationships is not for everyone, but I think the skill set that we, that we can learn and we get to practice everywhere. Did you always feel that, because it seems like you got into a very polyamorous kind of uh, situationship quite quickly, as opposed to going into this stereotypical, certainly for us, we kind of dipped our toes into the water a little bit. It felt like you, using the scuba diver, <laughs> scuba diving analogy, really dove to the bottom of the ocean straight away. And I, and I do, I, I wonder, do you feel that uh, being polyamorous is kind of inherent to you as a person or... Because you have to have such a, a matched sense of needs with your partner as well. It seems like both of you are on a very similar um, kind of approach to your non-monogamous experiences. Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess so. I only know what I've experienced. And I guess because I, I, I recently thought about this. Because I was in, a, at that point, 17-year-long monogamous relationship, I was really good at deeply relating. So maybe that was still a template that I was using to say, this is how I relate. Um, and then, of course, got into another deep relationship and just man and kept them both deep. And so now that I'm dating, I'm like, I don't know if, can I, can I do casual? Like, does Megan do casual? I don't know. <laughs> so Liam, I'm like still an inquiry around that for myself. I have an inkling that I, th I think it's just the way I relate, which is deeply. I like connecting with people physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Like if I can get all of those, I will prioritize spending time with those people. And so I think it's a function of what it is that I want 
you know, I, I like all of those connections and that's what I'm seeking. So then they lead to deeper relationships. But in all honesty, I'm still testing it out. I'm like, huh, can I have a casual relationship? Let's see. So maybe you guys started more casually and you're, you know, you've had the other trajectory. So I don't know. What would you say? What what do you think? Are you, do you think that there's a way that you fundamentally are or do you think it's just about the experiences that you've had? I think that we're fundamentally incredibly curious and playful and we sort of approach it from that side of things. But then, of course, along the way, when you're connecting with these amazing people and you're forming connections, things can really become deep, um, sometimes unexpectedly. And that's that organic, you know, the organic deepening of something, trying not to put a label on it or fit it into something in particular, but but being open to a bit more of a deeper connection too. But I mean, mm. for Liam and I, it's so interesting. We we don't know how to label ourselves or anything. We don't know if we're polyamorous or if we're swinging or this or that. We just sort of go with what feels what feels right. I feel like at the moment our connections are a little bit uh, lighter, but still meaningful. You know, we're sort yeah. of in we're in non-monogamous community with people who are close friends and are open to exploring those connections, but we, we're not in anchored deep partnerships at the moment. But when you did read uh, uh, the, that initial Vogue article, you were right in the middle of kind of the first really big yes. uh, kind of, I guess, polyamorous relationship. Mm. And what happened, uh, Megan, was that when we read that, it was kind of like this affirming thing like, oh, maybe that is, you know, here's a great example of this clearly working well and beautiful in a com- communicative way with the family dynamic. And there is a possibility for this being an option. And I think to, to before that point, we'd almost... Uh, felt a sense of like this is unknown territory this seems really scary like if Mm. we as soon as we go into this world there's no turning back you know and and really what we've noticed is that we're we're kind of moving forwards we're moving back we're we're shifting our relationships with other people and uh, i guess we have that sense of that core foundation of us um as a partnership yeah and seems like very solid you know if you have that then that can that that just creates such a beautiful secure base for you to jump off from so mm. who knows you could explore all different types of relating. <laughs> I know, who knows, but it takes people like you, Megan, to really put it out there and share with everyone and to show this actually is possible because I didn't have many, there were not many, uh, you know, role models or I mean, you know, not role models, but, um, you know, living expressions of polyamory working from the sense that this was a relationship that came from a monogamous relationship. These people are parents. Now they're engaging very meaningfully in polyamory and it's working and this is possible. And that was a real, wow, okay, this mm. is this is a thing that's happening. And, you know, and for that time, for me, when I read that article last year, I was in, a, in my first um, deep polyamorous connection with somebody. So, so, yeah, it was really amazing to see that. Unfortunately, that connection didn't didn't stay together. But, yeah, it was very meaningful for me at the time to read that. Yeah. And, it, and we gain things from people no matter what. So it doesn't matter how long the relationship is. Mm. There's always an exchange of, of something, right? There's learning that, that happens there. Mm. Um, it's so nice to know. Sometimes we just need examples, right, that things are mm. possible. I know I look for that as well. And I definitely seek out more and more, especially... I guess, especially now and looking for more examples of people going off the beaten path and not just the way that we relate, but the way that we live, you know, I'm Mm. looking for more positive examples of, Hey, isn't there a different way to do some of this stuff that we've gotten so stuck in as a society? So I know exactly what you're thinking. In fact, um, Abby, I was just remembering the moment that I read my first article about polyamory. I was sitting in my, I was getting my hair done and I was reading it on my phone and I was so afraid that people were going to see what I was reading about. I was like ridiculously embarrassed and I'm like Mm. reading a little bit. Somebody walks by and I hide it and I'm reading a little bit fast forward a couple years. And it's, it's us having our story featured in Vogue. It just is mind boggling, truly. Mm. So wow. I know that I needed to read someone else's story for me to feel like it was possible. Do you think uh, in the Vogue article you talk about uh, this Barcelona Megan? Do you feel like you are on a quest to uh, uh, find your Barcelona Megan once again with this casual dating shift? 
Oh, I found her. She's back. <laughs> I, I don't know with the casual dating part, but I do know that the energy that I had when I was 22 living in Barcelona was this very heart centered, free, like everything was possible, you know, kind of like many of us mm. experience at that young age. You don't know what you don't know. So everything just feels possible. And I feel like I'm coming back to that energy and I cultivate that energy on purpose all the time. I dance on the beach by myself in the mornings. Um, as a practice of free expression. So even at 44 right now, or soon to be 44, uh, I feel like that Barcelona Megan energy is just always there. And I encourage everybody to reconnect because those pieces mm. of us from when we were young, they're still there. They're still there. They're just more, maybe not in that energy or allowing it, but it's still and always there. I mean, one thing I find incredible about when I meet non-monogamous people and I, I feel this incredible sense of life force and something, there's this, this sense of uh, wonder with the world and a sense of the fact that their spirit is so alive. And I feel that talking with you. I feel that talking with our non-monogamous friends. And often when we meet people, I, I feel like I can tell pretty quickly if we're meeting in a monogamous context, if they are non-monogamous or not. Because there's a different sparkle in the eye. Oh my God, you guys, full disclosure. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but I'm like, full disclosure, I am, I am spending some time with a new connection here, literally like, like here during today, everything. So I think my, my energy is a little bit up right now. I think I'm definitely experiencing some NRE at the current moment. So we were joking about that right before starting this. I'm like, I definitely have some good energy going into this. Uh, but it is that access to that life force energy of newness, right? Of like mm. novelty and connection and excitement and some of those nerves, Liam, that you were talking about before. It's just all present. So yes, I, I would say the same thing. I think that when you allow yourself these experiences, you can keep cultivating that energy. So I have my, my new friend to mm. thank for my energy today, maybe. Oh, oh. We'll, we'll send our regards to your new friend. He sounds <laughs> sounds wonderful. Um, do you find this? Uh, do you see this in your partner Marty as well, and your other partners, of course, with their uh, them kind of bringing back this sense of NRE into your relationship and your connection with him? Yeah, it's so. <clears throat> Marty has been with the same partner for almost four or five years, so they've got a very stable relationship. Uh, and I would say she brings uh, she brings a beautiful stability into his life, and that in that sense, like that impacts me and my relationship with him too. So I'm very grateful for that. Kyle is connecting with someone new right now, and that newness I know is very exciting, and I know he has his nerves up a little bit, but it's really fun watching him go through that, and it's he's going through it for the first time really at this level and this level mm. of commitment, and so I get to witness him actually in a way that I've never been able to witness him. He's dated other people, but nothing as serious. So yeah, that that relationship is actually bringing in something different into my life. I don't know how to describe it. You know, I was Kyle's only partner for two and a half years plus. Mm. So I basically kind of became his primary partner. So I kind of had two primary partners. And in some ways, that's so beautiful. And in some ways, that's a lot of work. <laughs> that's like mm. a lot of responsibility for people's hearts. And I think this other partner coming into Kyle's life is creating a sense of newness and stability and like holding him emotionally in a way that feels so good for me to share, to be like, oh, okay, we're doing this together. And he's going through some hard times being in a new place, but both of our, both of us are supporting him. And so, yeah, like I see the impact of the, the intimate relationships on my partners very much. And honestly, I'll be totally honest. And when shit, hit, hit, shit hits the fan, I feel that too. <laughs> so mm. it's, you know, we get the benefit of what people bring and we also get the challenges and it's just riding those waves. And just, I think for anyone listening to this, the hardest thing about ethical non-monogamy is not throwing away an, an quote unquote old relationship if it gets hard as you develop new ones. Because the new ones mm. will always be bright and shiny. They just will have this mm. energy that's delicious and butterflies, but there's no reason to not continue working at the other relationships. And in fact, they, they add a different piece. It's like a piece of music, you know, it, the, they, they add different things. The high notes you pay a lot of attention to because they're high, but it's like the low ones and the, that are consistent. They're consistently holding that music for you. So I just would say it's really, I've, I've coached in uh, many people and it's this particular aspect that I work with people a lot to say, 
any relationship takes work. Do not throw out your other relationships just because they mm. hit a little bump in the road, you know, keep working through them, keep working through them. And yeah, that's, it's, I don't know, in my book, it's worth it. It's so worth it. So Megan, you just mentioned your coaching. Would you be able to tell us more about what you're doing, what you're offering, what Amory is? Please share with our listeners. Sure. I would love to. So I do one-on-one coaching. I love that. I love the personal connection that I get to have and the role that I can play. I, what I also love, and I'm doing a bit more of these days, is group work. And I have two programs that I put together. One is a self-love program that's six months, and we do a deep dive into um, our body, heart, mind, and spirit, like all of us. And we go through and we work on the, our awareness of ourselves, the acceptance of ourselves, self-worth, and self-care. And it used to be an eight-week program, and I realized that that was great, but it really wasn't long enough for people to develop the habits that really that we need to, to actually sustain that level of relationship with ourselves. And honestly, self-love, it's a lifelong practice. It's like yoga. You don't just like get self-love and then it's done and you never have to work on it again. (laughs) So I help people to establish the practices, the habits and the tools so that they can have a better relationship with themselves. I will be starting my next course, I think sometime mid-September. I haven't um, chosen that. So people are interested, they can find that on my website. Um, and then I have an unnamed program, which I really wish I had a name for you guys. I don't know. I'm currently in it. It's six months with people that have already done the self-love course. And I don't know what to call it because we're still figuring out what it is and what people are getting out of it, but it's like self-mastery, self-exploration. It is a deeper level into what is like, how do we relate? Um, I like to, I like to geek out about relationships in general. So it's like the fundamentals of relating with the basis of self-love. And I have a beautiful group going through this first cohort. They're going to help me name it hopefully, but I would highly recommend anyone who is interested in deepening their relationship, not only with themselves, but others start with a self-love course and then take the, this, whatever it is, I'm going to call it <laughs> second. And, um, and I've really seen people transform and it's, it's such a delight to see. I really get an up close personal front row seat to transformation and I couldn't ask for a better job. I don't even know how I got here. You guys, how did I get here? I don't know. We decided to open up our relationship and my big mouth couldn't keep it shut. So that's it. <laughs> well, I, I do wonder, uh, I, have you thought about writing a book or anything like that? Kind of compiling all these amazing experiences. You I'd are so sweet and not the first person to ask. At some point, maybe, I don't know. I have a, I have like a mental block around that at the current moment where I get my most energy out of is this type of exchange. So mm. to write a book feels a little bit arduous, but I definitely have enough content. So I'm like, if I can pull all of that and put it together in a book format, maybe one day. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I would really recommend if you haven't checked out the Amory podcast to check it out um, to all our listeners because it, it, it's an amazing treasure trove of of insight and really just beautiful open sharing. I, I've taken a lot from certainly the episodes with Carl and, and him talking so openly and such a beautiful example of, of just uh, masculinity, really, um, even, even a, away from non-monogamy. Can I give Kyle a shout out? Kyle is doing men's groups now. Uh, I think that that's really important. He has been running men's groups for the last two years and he is so good at it. And I know he's starting another Mm. men's group coming up. So if anyone, any men out there really looking for support, for a connection um, and for a beautiful man like Kyle to hold that space, oh my gosh, please Mm. reach Mm -hmm. out to him. I think, well, I'll give you um, his handle, but it's the wind and the current on Instagram. And uh, yeah, he's, I can't recommend anybody better to hold that space. Well, we'll add all this stuff to the show notes for people to, to check out. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. What an amazing conversation. We hope to have you back on the podcast again sometime. We'd love, love to keep this connection and this conversation going on your unfolding and evolving journey. And just thank you so much for your generosity, your open heart, your wisdom and your experiences. We're so grateful, Megan. Thank you too so much. And I'm so glad that you're putting your voice in the world too. I really am. I think it takes more and more of us to have the courage to share. And I know people are listening to your podcast and growing from, from you too, sharing your experience and being open up. So I thank you for being bold and beautiful people. So thank you so much. 